Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3 to remind you, and for those of you who have not been with us for a little while, we are uh, going through an incredibly quick, broad-stroke survey of the prison epistles of what Paul did at the end of Acts chapter 28 and, and, and what he did for the next couple of years, and he wrote these epistles. We've already looked at Philippians, and now we're in Ephesians. And we're going through really a chapter at a time and, and seeing and pulling out some of the wonderful jewels that are in those chapters about what it is that, that Paul the prisoner felt was important for those churches to keep in mind as they served him in some difficult times. And so we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Ephesians. As we've done every time, I'm going to read that chapter. Think about it as I read it. There was a time when Paul actually wrote these down and there were a time when somebody read them to a group of people for the very first time. And imagine that as we look at Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for all ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the, in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, in verse 1, Paul begins, and then as happens every now and again, he goes a different direction, and he picks up later on in this chapter. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Obviously, clearly, Paul was talking about where he was at that very moment. He was a prisoner. But... Paul used that terminology all the time. He used it at the beginning of virtually every one of his letters. Generally, it's translated um, bond servant, but he used the idea of slave. He, that was the actual word he was using, doulos, slave. I'm a slave. I'm a prisoner. I belong to Christ Jesus. 
I'm here to do his bidding. Uh, This isn't about me. This isn't about what I want to do, how I want to live, where I want to be. This is about Jesus Christ and where he wants me on a regular basis. I'm a slave of his. I'm a prisoner for him. That's the reason why I exist. And he makes that very clear. And he says, for the sake of you Gentiles, I have been proclaiming Jesus Christ. I wanted you to know Jesus Christ. And they didn't like it, and they put a stop to it. And I was made a prisoner because of that. And I want you to recognize that that's the ministry that I've been involved in, and those are the consequences. But as he says later on, and as he has been saying over and over again, that's okay, because this is what God wants. And I want to do what God wants us to do. So verses 2 through 13, then, are really this parenthetical thought for Paul, as we find in his writings so very often. He talks about the mystery and the wonder of Christ, Christ in us. Christ uniting the Gentiles and the Jews, and he makes it very clear that that life is different now than it used to be because of Jesus Christ. So he goes on, and he talks about this great stewardship in verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, this great stewardship, listen, When you were saved, you were given a stewardship. You were given something to be in charge of for Jesus Christ. What are you doing with that thing? What are you doing with those things? You weren't made by accident. And who you are and the abilities you have and the gifts you have and the skills you have and the things that you like and don't like are not by accident. It's how God made you. And as a believer, as a slave of Jesus Christ, as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, as one who belongs to him, it is your responsibility to be like Paul and say, all right, what am I going to do with that that God has given me? Are you putting it on the shelf? Or are you using it? Are you you willing to say, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to do what I need to do, because I recognize that all of my life and everything I have concerning my life is a stewardship, and I'm just taking care of it for the Lord. Paul believed that, and even as he was a prisoner, he believed that. Here I am. I'm not able to do what I used to do, but I can do a lot. I'm a steward, I'm a steward for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to think in those terms as also. Then in, in the next verse, he talks about this great thing, a revelation. This, by there was this revelation that, that was made known to me, the mystery, as I wrote in brief. I have been given some insight. The Holy Spirit has given him some insight, and he has told him about this great mystery of Christ. In the New Testament, when you read the word mystery, it is almost always referring to something that was hidden in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed in the New Testament. And that's how it is here. I understand this mystery. And he explains what that mystery is in the next couple of verses. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand by my insight into the mystery of Christ, which other generations was not made known to the sons of men, but now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And then he says, let me be specific on what this mystery is. So what he says is, I've been given understanding into this mystery, this mystery that generations of the, in the past, they didn't quite get. They didn't understand it completely. I've been given the revelation to understand that. I know what it is. And he goes on and he says, the apostles and the prophets, they talked about it, and they sometimes didn't even quite understand it, but they talked about it. And then in verse 6, to be specific, 
that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Two aspects of the mystery that he talks about here. We'll get to the other one in a moment. Christ in you that we've talked about previous, and he refers to again. And then that great mystery of it's no longer the Jewish nation and everybody else, the heathens, if you will. It's now the church, Jews and Gentiles alike, coming together to form a body, a unity, the great mystery of God at work on this earth. And it is a mystery, isn't it? You look around and you look at all of our differences and all of our different quirks and, and, and the way we go about things and how we think and how we approach life and our background and our desires and all of those. And you look at all of that and you think, how in the world does a group of people come together and accomplish things? It's because of the great mystery, Christ in you. This thing called the church works because of Christ in you. This thing called the church matters because of Christ in you. The great mystery. Look what God has done. Uniting people from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different philosophies and abilities and desires. But we come together because of Jesus Christ. And it is one of the most amazing things in the world. It is no longer out there that you have to jump through these hoops. He's brought us together in the church. And he's been talking about that over and over and over again. He says in the next couple of verses, he says, I've been a minister of this thing according to God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Now, I talked about stewardship a moment ago. And now Paul says, I've been made a minister. And then at the end of this verse, he says, by his power. Well, that makes it even better. The stewardship that you have that ministry that God wants you to do, you're able to do that by his power. His power. He has not said to you, go off and do it. Good luck. I hope it works out. He has said, here it is. I've given you this thing. You're a steward of this thing, these things. Oh, and by the way, my power is yours so that you can do this thing to the best possible way. Here it is. You have that. You have that. We cannot sit on what it is that God has given us and just, and just go along our way and think it'll be fine. God has said, here it is. I've given you this. I want you to serve. I want you to be a minister. I want you to serve and pour into other people. And I've given you the power to do it. And if prisoner Paul understood that, where he was, we can certainly be a part of that, and we can make sure that that goes on in our life today also. He talks about, in verse 6, he says that we, have, we are now fellow heirs and fellow members and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I ministered, I gave you this truth, I used the power of the Holy Spirit to come and instruct you and to teach you so that you would understand fellow members fellow partakers, fellow heirs. One of the things that is going on in our world today that, that we as Christians need to be honest about and face head on is that we oftentimes are abandoning the church and we're going to all sorts of different directions to try to find those groups where we can say we belong 
we fit, we're a part of. Well, I'm here to tell you that the Bible says that this mystery of people coming together by, and that has been proclaimed to us by the power of Paul and others, fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers, you have found your club already. It's the church. Now, there's other things you can be a part of. Absolutely. You found your club. You found the thing that you're a part of more than anything else, and you found that that you're a part of that is more important than anything else. The church. We need it to rely upon people. We need people to pray for us. We need to have people, we weep with them when they weep. We rejoice with them when they rejoice. We need help once in a while. We need encouragement once in a while. We need somebody to smack us upside the head every once in a while and say, hey, shape up. It's the church. And we're fellow members and fellow partakers and fellow heirs. We're part of it. And it is an incredibly glorious, wonderful thing. I want you to notice that part of what he says in here at the very end of it is we are uh, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus in, through the gospel. The first one was fellow heirs. In the, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All the things that God talks about, about the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for us, that's ours. We're members of that. We're partakers of that. We're heirs of that. That's ours. That's a pretty cool thing. You're going to get a great reward, a great, great reward, great trophy, a great, wonderful celebration because of Jesus Christ. He's our reward. And he says, you're part of that. You're part of that. And that's the mystery that he's been talking about that is not a mystery to us. We're living it. We're experiencing it. We're part of it. And I hope that you take advantage of it. The church and the significance of what it is that God has created, it is so important. And, 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 and just don't think in this, these walls, obviously, the church is far bigger than this place. Far bigger. And what a blessing it is that we can be part of other people who are not part of this particular local body. What a wonderful blessing that is. It's a great thing, the church. Take advantage of what God has done. It's an amazing, wonderful thing. Well, the prisoner, Paul, says, hey, you have a chance to be a part of that. I'm not able right now. I'm kind of isolated. Make sure you understand the significance of it. Verse 8, he goes on. To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. And notice what it is that, that he says he preached the unfathomable riches of Christ. How would you like a job? This was Paul's job. So Christ came, and, and you know how God saved him in that most dramatic of ways, right? And, and he saved him, and, and, and he said, Paul, here's what I want you to do. You're going to be a preacher to the Gentiles and kings. And I want you, your task is to go and to tell everybody about the riches of Christ. But I just want to let you know up front, you'll never run out. You'll never be done. You'll never exhaust the list. Because as soon as you think that you've discovered all about the riches of Christ, you're going to discover something else. As soon as you think you've got it all figured out and you've told everybody all there is to know about Christ and how amazing he is and how phenomenal he is and how wonderful he is and how magnificent he is, you're going to discover some more things. Paul's task was to tell people and to go and explain to them that which was unexplainable, the wonders of Christ. And the reason I bring that up and the reason I say that is this. 
Christianity should never, never, never be stale to us. Never. We never run out. We may stop, but we never run out. It's there. Have you explored it lately? Have you done it? Have you really gotten into it? Have you determined that you're going to look at a passage of Scripture and you're just going to hang out in one, two, three, four, five verses for a while and really see what it is that God has for you? His riches that are overwhelming. The prisoner Paul made sure he told people that God's riches are unfathomable. They're amazing. They're remarkable. They're beyond you. Explore them. Embrace them. Love them. We never run out. Spiritual disciplines that we keep practicing over and over and over and over again till the day we die. We keep doing that because there's more to be seen. There's more to be experienced. Just because you've read through it a time or two doesn't mean you've read it all. Just because you've gone through it in a study once, in a, once or twice doesn't mean you've gotten all there is. It's a living book taught by a living God who lives inside of you. Embrace that. Embrace that. Well, he goes on and he said part of his ministry was to bring light to the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Again, here's this mystery idea. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Whoa, hold on. Catch that phrase. We can't go by that too quick. Verse 10 says this, so that the manifold wisdom, the, the, the wisdom of God that's been given to us by God might be made known through the church. How does God operate today? Through the church. That's how he operates. He established it, and he said, this is my body, and this is how I know I'm going to operate these days. That's why it's so important that you understand that you belong to a club. Embrace the club. Be a part of it. God is working through the church. It's incredibly important that we are understanding that that's how he works today. He has decided that his great wisdom would be seen through the church, which is made up of all the individuals around the world who are part of that church. Is that cool? You're part of that. That's how God's revealing himself. How is it that God is revealing himself to the people in the world? By and large, through the church. Creation has always been there. It's always been an amazing thing. But also, the church. That's how Christ is demonstrating himself. Through the church. We cannot forsake the church. It is incredibly significant and important. He goes on and he talks about the fact that, that at the very end of this verse, may be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Did you know that you as a member of the church of Jesus Christ are constantly on display so that those that are the authorities in the heavenly places might see God and his power and his wisdom. That's what the church is all about. The Bible says that angels long to look into that. We've talked about that before. The whole idea of redemption, they have no concept about that. And God is revealing himself through this great thing called redemption that puts us into this thing called the church. What a wonderful thing. And the prisoner Paul wants to remind us of that. 
He says in verse 11 that, that this was in accordance with his eternal purpose and plan. This is the way God always wanted it to be. This is what he set up from the very beginning. And as we read through the Bible, we see, yep, God's working it out. Look at, here it comes. All the way down. Look what God has done. And he has worked that thing out in some amazing, remarkable ways. Then he goes on, and he shares with us this really cool thing in verse 12. He says, this purpose was done through Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Access through him to what? To God. To God. Now, there were some people that were reading this for the very first time, who had this read to them for the very first time, that were hearing this for the very first time, that that was a brand new thought. See, that's a common thought test. We get that. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, we, we can go to the Father through the Son. Yeah, that's, that's a basic truth. We learn that from the time we're very, very small. But when this was first written and when this was first read and when this was first taught, they didn't understand unfettered, easy access to the Father. They didn't get that. They didn't understand that. And Paul says, you have this great access to God. The God of the universe. You have access to him. You don't need an appointment. You don't need to wait in line. You don't need to jump through hoops. You have access to God anytime, anywhere, for any reason. Through Jesus Christ. Do you take advantage of that? Are you rejoicing in that? Let's look at a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. These are familiar verses. It says this beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may, re may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Access through faith in Him to the Father. Anytime. Here it is. This is why the verses that talk about pray without ceasing make sense. Because of this. You have access anytime. Your conversation with God should never stop. It should start with good morning, Lord, and it should end with good night, Lord. That's how we should be in our lives. And if we could get to that point, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Good morning, Lord. Looking forward to what you're going to do today. I see the sun came up today. I appreciate that. Had a good night's rest. Thank you very much for that. I'm going to have some food now. It's really cool that you've provided that for me. And away we go. Until finally, Lord, it was a good day. I know that I, I didn't do everything I should have and needed to ask forgiveness for a few things. But it was a good day. Thanks for walking with me, Lord. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. That's how it should be with God. Because we have access through faith. And, and, and the prisoner Paul was reminding him of that, of, us, of that. Here it is. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. 
Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The Bible talks a lot about the fact that we need to embrace and be thrilled about how close we can be to God at any given moment because of Jesus Christ. Are you living that way? Or are we so caught up in so many things that our walk with God becomes more of a religious activity on occasion than a vibrant relationship? Go back to Hebrews uh, Ephesians, excuse me. We're already in Hebrews. Go back to Ephesians. And I want you to notice we're in chapter 3, but go back to chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, For through him we both have our access to one spirit in the Father. Through Jesus Christ we have access. And that's just a cool word. Paul was just real blunt. We have access to God. There it is. God used to be far away. It seemed like God was unreachable. Not anymore. And I know that that's a truth that we have lived with regularly for most of our lives, but this is a powerful thing and that we need to embrace this. And here's an interesting thought. Even though God's eternal plan of redemption was accomplished some 2,000 years ago, this access to God today is just as fresh now as it was then. Same fresh, wonderful access. Same thing. When these people were reading this and they were explained about how all of it took place and, the, and the, you know, how the veil was torn in the temple and access to God was open and free now and they had to maybe be explained that and I'm sure that they were pretty excited about it, that access, just as real today as it was then. And it's just as important today as it was then. Notice the next verse, verse 13. Paul, the prisoner, once again expresses his confidence in God. Uh, don't lose heart at my tribulations on on your behalf, for they are for your glory. And again, we see Paul's incredible perspective in life. I, you know, it's easy for you to be real downcast on behalf of other people sometimes, and, and just a little bit distraught. And Paul says, don't do that for me. It's all right. This is all God's plan, and, and, and he's accomplishing some great things. For all we know, Paul said, I finally have the time to write those churches. I've been meaning to do it for months now. Finally. I'm chained. I can't go anywhere. I have to write. And here's the result. He said, it's for your glory. God is using it. And we have, we have said this over and over again as we've been going through this thing and as we went through Acts. Are you allowing God to use the circumstances in your life or are the circumstances so big and so overwhelming for you that nothing's going on? God wants to use the circumstances no matter what they are. God wants to use the circumstances. So he says, this is the path that God's laid out for me, and it's a good path. We're going to trust him for this. We're going to walk with him, and we're going to see his glory in some amazing ways. Well, then we come to verse 14 through 19, and really the parenthetical pot stops, and he gets back to what he was after, and, and, and he begins to pray. Another one of Paul's prayers, another one of the New Testament prayers that are so wonderful. They are so awesome and so great. We we already looked at the one in Philippians, and it's in chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent 
in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. We looked at the one in chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, beginning in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And now this prayer. He says, I, I, I bow my knees before the Father. He explains to us a little bit about who God is, reminds us from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that everything comes from God. Everyone comes from God. Obviously not everybody on this earth are Christians, they're not all saved, but they're all created by God's hand. Everyone. He says then in verse 16, this is his prayer. This is a great prayer. As we said in chapter 1, as we said in, in Philippians, these are great prayers. Pray these prayers. Pray these for others. Pray these for yourselves. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, well, how, how, much, how much does God have? Well, he has it all. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Listen, we just need to be honest. There are tons of times when we pray for people to be strengthened physically when we ought to be praying that they would be strengthened spiritually. prayer that we need to be praying for people more often than not is right here. Lord, that you would strengthen them with power through your spirit that lives in them that they would be able to be who they ought to be and do what they ought to do for you. Pray that prayer. Pray that for yourself. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, the great love of God. Paul's making that declaration that we are who we are because of what God has done and for no other reason. We are rooted, we are grounded in love and here's an, an amazing prayer to pray. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. Well, can't I thought we understood the love of Christ? Look what he did for me. Yeah, we get a slice of the love of Christ, don't we? A little bit. We talk about everything that he did, and through it all, when you all add it up, it's a little bit of the love of Christ. The prayer that Paul is praying for the folks in Ephesus that we need to pray for ourselves and for others is that that person, that I would come to understand just how much I'm loved by God. What is one of the basic needs of man? To know that we're loved. To know that we have some significance. To know that life matters. And life matters a lot when you know somebody loves you. And Paul says, I am praying that you will know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. 
which for as long as you're on this earth, and as long as you study it out, and as long as you know him and strive to understand him and ask him to understand that great love, by the way, it's so great that it surpasses knowledge. You know how in, in 1 Corinthians it says that we see dimly, but then we'll see in full? Folks, I am convinced we have no idea how blind we are. No idea. I am convinced that we have no idea how dull our world is. We look around and we think, wow, that's really pretty. I'm pretty sure once we get to heaven, we're going to say, whoa. Now that's pretty. You guys see the sun, sunrise, sunset last night? Magnificent. <laughs> Nothing compared to heaven, I'm pretty sure. Nothing. We, we can't hardly see anything now. Sin has corrupted this world. These fleshly bodies, boy, they have struggles, don't they? Therefore, we need to be praying this prayer. Lord, show us how much you love us. Reveal to us just how much you love us. Because I wander around and I think, I don't know if anybody loves me. I don't know if anybody cares for me at all. Lord, I need to know how much you love me. What a great prayer to pray. But I just want to warn you, Paul says, it surpasses knowledge. You'll never quite get there. There will be a day. There will be a day. A day we talk about, a day we long for, a day we look forward to. There will be a day when we will know the love of Christ in complete. We will be in his presence. He goes on to pray that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You want to pray a significant prayer for another person? You want to pray a significant prayer for yourself? Pray, God, that you would fill me up with the fullness of God, that there'd be no room for anything else but you right now. No room for selfishness. No room for pride. No room for bitterness. No room for lack of forgiveness. No room for angst. No room for worry. No room for anger. Lord, just fill me up to such a degree that you're the only thing, and when I'm squeezed, I ooze Jesus. I just need you to fill me up. Pray that prayer. It's not that you're praying that you get more of the Holy Spirit. It's that you're praying that you get out of the way and the Holy Spirit explodes inside of you. Pray this prayer. Pray this prayer on a regular basis. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for other people. This is a really good thing. Paul has given us great, great, deep spiritual insight here. And we need to take advantage of it. Open up your Bibles and pray this prayer. I am positive there's no rule against that. You can read it and everything. It'll be fine. Use these words. Pray this prayer. That God, you would grant according to the riches of your glory that that person would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. That Christ would dwell in that person through faith to such a degree that it would be overwhelming. That that person who's rooted and grounded in love would understand and comprehend just how much you love that person today. That that person would know Christ. That that person would be filled with Christ. That the fullness of God would be all that is in that person's mind. God, do that great work. 
I am convinced that these are the kind of prayers, as I said when we did it in Philippians, as I, as I said when we did it in Ephesians 1, I am convinced that these are the kinds of prayers God answers without question. This is a great prayer. And then Paul summarizes, ends it all. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within me, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He ends this section by saying, God can do far more than we think. You think you're asking God a lot when you're asking these things? You're not even coming close yet. He does far more abundantly than we ask or think. It's not even in our mind yet. And he's doing it. Far more abundantly. You haven't exhausted God yet. You haven't tired God yet. He's not thinking, man, I don't know, that's a lot of stuff from that person. Can I handle it? Way more than that. Abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. Well, there's a whole sermon in that verse, isn't there? The power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church forever and ever. I want you to notice... Just go backwards real quick. Go to um, chapter 1. Notice what Paul says in verse 19. This is, one of his, this is in that prayer. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those of us who believe? Go to chapter 3, verse 10. So that the manifold wisdom, wisdom of God may be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Then in this, he talks about the power that is to be revealed. And then I want you to flip over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And at the very end of Romans chapter 11, where Paul has been absolutely swimming in the deep end of the pool for three, four chapters here and dealing with amazing, remarkable, great, deep theology, he says in verse 36, beginning in 33 through 36, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What Paul has just done in this letter is he has, as our Bible has broken it down for us, the first half of it has been doctrine. This is who you are. This is what God has done. And now he's about to turn a corner and we'll start there next week. And he says, because of all of that, here's what you do. Here's how you live. He's an amazing, remarkable God. This is how you live. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Hey, I've just explained to you all of this great stuff of who God is and what God has done and how powerful and how amazing God is. Now I just want to challenge you. Walk like that's the truth. Come on. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done. Walk like you ought to. And he's going to do that for three chapters. Four, five, and six of Ephesians then are, here it is. You know who he is. You know who you are. Let's go live. Let's go live for the glory of this great God. And we'll pick up there next week. Father, thank you very much for the great doctrine that we read in the Bible, the amazing stuff that Paul shares as a prisoner. And Lord, I just pray that you would just confirm these things and that we would be...
people to understand who you are and the depth of you. Father, I do pray that you would do a remarkable work in the lives of these dear folks. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in the inner man. I pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we would know it and see it. That we, who are rooted and grounded in love, would be able to understand with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. That we would just know the love of Christ in our life, that wonderful love that surpasses knowledge. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. That we would shine for you and live as we ought. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.